office hours with Ernest Wilkins was recorded live at Mass in the greatest city in the world, Chicago, USA. Welcome back to Office Hours. I'm Ernest Wilkins. Office Hours is a podcast about the business of culture and is made at Mess, a design, development, and content studio located in Chicago. Mess helps brands tell the story online and off. So find out more by visiting www.madeatmess.com. Look, if you don't know this song, you might not understand today's conversation, but that's okay, because there's a culture behind this song, and we're going to explore some business behind it, okay? All right. So my entire, I think, uh, I got to do the math on it. I'd like to say probably 85% of the women on my mom's side of the family are all members of the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority, a historically black sorority. I am really inspired and continuously just like amazed by HBCU culture and having attended Florida A&M, um, having my family go to Alabama A&M, Alabama State, Dillard, having a ton of friends who went to Howard and a ton of friends who went to Morehouse and neither one of them shut up about it. I mean, we can do this all day. The song you heard earlier, Set It Off, is really near and dear to my heart because this song is the stroll song or, you know, kind of the, I guess this is like the Rough Riders anthem for the AKAs in that, you know, a majority of the life experiences and family moments around my family on my mom's side have been you know, you've heard this song, you've seen it, you've seen the stroll, you know, generations of women getting up and making it happen and looking real good and, you know, and, and, and kicking ass, frankly. So it, it's really culture that's so rich and so deep and is honestly the backbone for what I think most Americans know as the black middle class. Um, I, it's been kind of a really frustrating scenario over the last couple of years to con- see the continued, you know, downturn in terms of revenue, in terms of students attending historically black colleges and universities. And I, and I need to be very clear here. You know, I probably am as much of the problem as anybody else, you know, went to school at an HBCU, but also didn't necessarily graduate from one. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is to kind of understand like, okay, without the support and the continuous, you know, following of these organizations, I do believe we're going to lose a really key and important part of American history. So I think today's a perfect day to really hone in on this demographic, but not only from the standpoint of the schools themselves, because I think that's a little out of my weight class, but thinking about the culture surrounding HBCU sports. So HBCU Game Day is an online and now broadcast medium that focuses on HBCU sports across the four conferences. These four conferences consist of 48 teams across several states and have 
a lot of real rich history. Some of the oldest rivalries in college football, some of the biggest rivalries in college football. Uh, What's up, Southern Classic? While we already know the scourge of college sports is something that needs to get rectified, I think one of the biggest things is we also have to rectify the fact that these are also some of the biggest sources of American traditions we have. I mean, rivalry games like Grambling versus Southern, you know, these kind of big moments that take place within the real you know, cultural landscape of this country and also affect so many people's lives. I think it's really important to, to study this culture, but not only that, to really talk about somebody who's actively trying to bring something that is you would think would be a no brainer resource to these schools with this rich history and all of these teams that have all this great talent. You know, you're seeing you know, top flight five star recruits even go visit HBCUs, even if they don't unfortunately end up attending because they understand the value and they've been taught the importance of these legacy institutions. So today I wanted to take a moment to talk to Stephen Gaither. He is the man behind HBCU Game Day, that aforementioned broadcast platform and uh, online platform surrounding the best and brightest of black college sports. So let's tap into it. I'm really excited. I hope you enjoy this one and uh, let's get into it. Stephen Gaither, um, the man behind HBCU Game Day. I'm really happy to have you aboard. Welcome to the program. I appreciate you so much for having me, Ernie. All right. So I want to take a step back because the contextual you know, piece of this that I want everybody to understand is how much opportunity is available you know, to, to this market and the, the people who are in it and are working around it. So before we get to that, though, I want to talk kind of about your background and upbringing. Can you kind of Give us a story of how we got to where we are now. Yeah, wow. Um, so I'm, I'm from North Carolina, um, from a small town uh, just north of Charlotte. I'm always in a sport. And then at some point, I got more into reading about it than, than actually being good at doing it. I found out that I was better about that. And so uh, I decided uh, with some help from uh, some other folks that I wanted to be, you know, do journalism, um, get ready to go to college and wasn't really sure where I was going. I had... I had bad grades my first couple of years, and then I decided, hey, you know, if you don't get this together, you're not going to college. So I was able to get things together. Um, I wanted to go to Hampton University. Um, thought I was going to go to North Carolina A&T, but I ended up going to Winston-Salem State University, which is about 45 minutes away from where I'm from. So, you know, got a chance to go to WSSU. And that's about the same time that Stephen A. Smith was really starting to make his mark at ESPN. And then I found out that he went to WSSU as well. So I was like, okay, well, if he can, if he can make it to where he is from that school, then, then, you know, there's a good chance I could as well. That's so, really inspiring to hear too, because I think a lot of people don't sometimes understand the, the lineage of a great black sports journalist. And I know a lot of people think of Stephen A. Smith right. as just like a loud character, but he's one of the hardest working journalists I've ever encountered in my life. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, definitely. You know, he is, uh, you know, he's that's, you know, the reason that he got on ESPN is because, you know, he consistently broke stories, you know, he consistently. And the way he did that was he consistently went out, um, you know, had conversations with people, got the right sources and was able to know information before everyone else. And that gave him a leg up in the reporting world. And then eventually he transitioned to being a columnist. And uh, there weren't a lot of black sports columnists at that time. So, uh, he definitely um, was before he became what he is now at ESPN. He definitely paid his dues to get there. So big shout out to him. Um, so I, I went there for five years, five years on, on the good five year plan. Um, and, you know, like everybody else, you know, I wanted to, to go to school and work for the four letter network, you know, in the sports world. Um, 
And uh, yeah, but then, you know, graduated in 2009, the economy was really bad. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, journalism was, and journalism was already bad even before the economy was bad. So I was like, maybe I don't want to do that. So took a year off from doing journalism at all. And then I said, you know, the working world just sucks in general. So I might as well do something I want to do. And uh, so got to, so I was working customer service jobs during the day and just started freelancing at night over in the, um, in the Raleigh Durham area, which is where I was living after I got graduated school. And, uh, you know, did that for a couple of years and was hoping, you know, did the, you know, working during the day and then trying to do my, live my dream at night. And, um, I just got to the point where I saw people passing me by and I was like, I know that there's something else. I know that I have something I can do give, and I know that I'm good at this. So, um, just started kind of, um, just trying to figure out something that could restore my confidence and also build my resume and see where it could lead. So I just, you know, remembered, you know, when I was in school, obviously I covered WSSU and we're an HBCU. And so I was familiar with that world. Um, and I realized there really wasn't one, uh, one place digitally that you could go and really get the information, not only information, but also just content and just, you know, some just good information on HBCUs. So, um, I think so you, you made know, one. I would try to start. Right. So what was that? Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's amazing because I think the, yeah. the larger question is around the gap in the first place. And I'm really, you know, I want to commend you for recognizing the lane and going, oh, I can fill that lane. That's exactly something that I think, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily take the time to do when they're searching for whatever they want to be or whatever they want to accomplish. It's like, hey, you know, if you are in a, a situation where there's this wide and open, you know, audience right? and you don't take advantage of it, somebody's going to. So it might as well be you. Right. Well, you know, I think I saw the I saw the potential in the audience, even when the audience there wasn't it wasn't there itself. So like, you know, in H, so in HBCUs, for people who don't know, there's there's different, you know, there's there's so they stretch all the way from Delaware to Oklahoma, um, which is a wide range of areas. And, and each one is different and unique in their own way, even though they have the shared history of educating black black folks. Um, and so, I mean, there's four. uh uh, conferences primarily in the, in the NCAA that are made up of HBCUs. Two of them are Division Two, the CIAA and the SIC, who are the older two. And then there's the SWAC and the and the MEAC, who are Division One. So, um, you know, people will follow their own schools. Um, you know, people will follow their own schools, and they would try to keep. But I, I noticed like there was like really um, some online message boards. Anna Dan uh, was one of them that I used to go on a lot, and I realized that there was an audience there that, you know, would bring in their news from this part of the world or bring in their news from this, this people, this, from this media outlet, because at, at, at Winston-Salem, I didn't really know it, but we were very fortunate. The Winston-Salem Journal um, covered WSSU extensively. I mean, you know, we had a beat writer. There were TV reporters, you know, TV reporters that would come to our games and at least shoot a couple highlights. Um, they may, maybe wouldn't do as much as they would do at Wake Forest. They shoot a couple highlights, and and so we had media coverage because we were in an area that you know had a decent media presence, but it wasn't um, it wasn't so big that we were swallowed up. Um, and that's really a sweet spot, you know. Uh, Winston Salem, uh, Tallahassee, over in uh, for FAMU um, is another place where they've had pretty good coverage consistently throughout the years, and. You know, in Louisiana, uh, you know, Southern has had pretty good cons consistent coverage over the years. 
But a lot of the schools that are in either small places where there's really no media or in big places like, you know, in D.C., even Howard University, um, you know, they have, you know, they, there's been many times where they haven't had a beat writer from the Washington Post. Right. You know what I mean? They had, or, you know, TV wise, they didn't have people that were consistently covering them, dedicated to getting those stories and going deeper than just the surface and not just showing up when something went wrong. Right. Um, and that's kind of how, uh, that's kind of how it, it's been operated in a lot of different places. So, and it's, it's- um, you know, again, this is, Go ahead. I was going to say it's it's very interesting, too, because, you know, looking at stats and uh, it's actually really serendipitous that we're talking today because Jamel Hill dropped a piece um, for The Atlantic talking right. about why black athletes should considering leaving, you know, professionally, uh, historically white uh, organizations and colleges. And some of the stats are crazy. I mean, you know, they said like all of these schools, like 30, 30 division one schools last year brought in 100 million dollars in athletic revenue. Mm-hmm. Right. And then all of those schools are majority white. In fact, black men make up only 2.4% of the total undergrad population mm-hmm. of the 65 schools in that like so-called power five athletic conferences, including Florida state. But like yeah. you look at the numbers on the proportional side in terms of who's playing and it's black men make up 55% of the football players in all of those conferences, as well as 56% of the basketball players. And so it's like, you right. look at it, you know, Alabama's athletic department, basically made about $175 million last year or 2016-ish. Um, but Prairie View, which is in Texas, that's a Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right outside yeah. of Houston. Right. I thought so. I just want to make sure I, I, my mom was going to call me and yell at me. Uh, but Prairie View mm-hmm. basically brought in less than $18 million in that same period of time. And it's like the disproportionate amount of money is not new because there's already a wealth gap that exists in America between African-Americans and white folks. But I think the other thing that's important to point out is while yes, there's a larger market share in those larger organizations, you're also still capitalizing on these people who legitimately could go to, you know, uh, an HBCU and do something interesting. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, Jamel's, uh, piece has definitely been right on time today. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll be honest with you, uh, as a publisher and as someone who deals with HBCUs on a daily basis, a lot of times, you know, every couple months, someone will come out with an article similar to this. Um, not all of them have as much depth as Jamel's does, but I definitely have a lot of respect for her just, you know, on a, on a professional level. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of times these type of pieces will come out and they'll be really fluffy and, and everyone will. And because, you know, sometimes like folks like myself who are in it every day, um, you know, and we're talking about this and trying to promote the idea. And sometimes it's like somebody just kind of comes out of the air and says, hey, they should do this. And, and everyone else kind of runs. We're already trying. <laughs> I, I really, right. Exactly. Like, you know, they, you know, I, it's like, you know, sometimes I was just hesitant to dig in. But I felt like, uh, you know, with Jamel being who she is, um, I know she uh, did some coverage. Of, I know she went to Michigan State, but I know she did some coverage of uh, North Carolina Central, St. Augustine's University, and Shaw University when she was at uh, the Raleigh News and Observer right out of school. Um, So I know she, and, you know, I saw her, she was at the CIAA tournament this year. She actually came down, um, you know, to to do some interviews and talk to some folks. And so I know she's not just writing from just, just like trying to pick up, pick up, uh, you know, clicks and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's very important the stuff that you talked about, the economics and the and the makeup 
of, uh, you know, college athletics and stuff that, uh, you know, I talk about all the time and we deal, deal, deal in all the time, but it's something that a lot of people don't really think about until it's presented out that way. So I'm glad that she used her platform um, in the way that she did to speak to uh, the folks who ne- don't necessarily follow HBCU game there, follow HBCUs all the time, but, um, you know, maybe, you know, it'll open some eyes. So I also, that's and in, in, to that point, I also want to continue to hammer down the point of kind of how much opportunity there is here for these markets to be, you know, really marketed to or advertised in and, you know, partnered with. And so I pulled up some stats from the NCAA themselves. And when you look at D1AA, they looked at it, they break down the attendance leaders and in terms of like how many people came to a season, you know, games per season, average attendance, all that great stuff. If you look at FCS, right. one the number one team is Jackson State. You mean Southern is number four. Florida A&M is number six. Jacksonville State is number seven. Like in the top 10, Alabama State rounds out the top 10 and A&T uh, in North Carolina A&T is 11. So it's interesting because I'm looking at this and it's like Southern aver- uh, averages 75K a uh, game which is crazy over four games, you know, fam, you advertise, uh, their attendance numbers were 107,000 people averaging about a 17 K per game over a uh, six game period. Then you look at the conference, the SWAC in all of uh, D one double a football is the number one conference in terms of attendance, you know, 10 teams, 49 games, 41 years, you know, right. It's it's amazing. So I want to kind of talk to that sense of, you know, there's an obvious reason in terms of the coverage of this, these athletes and the, the work that they're putting in on and off the field. But I want to speak to also from the business perspective of this. What do you think people are missing? Like these people and these brands and these advertising agencies, like what what do they need to know? Yeah, I know, you know, when we go and try to talk and, and talk to sponsors and people and say, hey, you know, we're HBCU game day. You know, we cover HBCU sports and culture. You know, they'll think of the football team or the basketball team or maybe even the band, uh, the cheerleaders and things like that. And they'll think, okay, that's nice, that's cute. But they don't really think about it. So we touch three levels of people. We touch the prospective students who are looking to, you know, who are the young kids who are, you know, soaking up social media. They're the ones that a lot of times they'll get their first impressions of what HBCUs and HBCU sports are from someone like us. Um, then you got the current students, but you've also got the alumni. And I don't think people understand um, the uh, impact that HBCU alumni have. You know, these are, these are, you know, black folks, you know, who are, you know, have graduated. So, you know, anywhere from, you know, their early 20s all the way up to their 60s and 70s who, uh, you know, who have money, who have jobs, who have income, who buy houses. Um, you know, who go to re- who go to nice restaurants, uh, who travel with their team, right? So there's a whole economy around that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there, you know, you talk about Southern. I mean, as much as they fill up their home stadium at Mumford, um, I mean, they go across the SWAC and, and wherever Southern plays, there's a crowd, and so those that crowd doesn't just show up. They don't have just a magic carpet, right? They've if it's if they're going to a game at Jackson State, right? They've got to. Um, get in cars. They've got to, you know, if they're going to stay overnight, they're going right. to stay at a hotel. Right. Or they're going to stay at an Airbnb. Um, There's so much infrastructure, insurance. too. There's so yeah. much infrastructure that goes along with just the idea of an away game or tailgating. You know, and I, I, I'll make the claim and stand up on it that I think that the tailgating culture in HBCUs and in colleges is better than any other tailgating experience you can have in this world. And I stand on that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, it's it's 
almost to the detriment of the football sometimes now these days. I mean, uh, you, know, <laughs> you said people know don't even my, go in the game. I don't know. I'm out Salem State. I mean, it's our tailgates have gotten so big that it's like, man, people will go and they will soak up the spend the entire just time at the tailgate, and they won't even be able to. And they won't even get. <laughs> they don't even the go to the game. Because they're just having such a good time, you know, they're seeing people they haven't seen in forever, you know, they're seeing their kids, they're seeing, you know, they're just having a good time reminiscing, you know, exchanging business cards, things like that. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, buying merchandise. So there's a, a whole economy around HBCU sports that I don't think people understand. And so, you know, with us at HBCU game, Day, like I said, you know, um, you know, I saw an audience that really was there but it wasn't it hadn't been put together and so you know i didn't have money to i didn't have money to uh you know buy advertising and say hey hbcu game day is this i just had to crank out good content and then i had to really sell it on social media and uh you know the numbers speak for themselves you know we've never bought followers or anything like that everything has been organic and a grind um but right now we're sitting at uh we're sitting at forty five thousand facebook fans uh twenty two thousand um, 22,000 followers on Twitter and, uh, closing in on 16,000 on Instagram. And, and these are places where, uh, you know, we, our numbers are the largest for anyone who just concentrates on HBCU sports and culture. Right. So, you know, we've had a lot of success in that area. There's still a lot more that ground to gain. And we've really only tapped the surface, um, for us, you know, we haven't really had, and we haven't had an infusion of capital. We have a very small staff there's so much content wise for us that we're actually leaving on the table because we have not, haven't had the, the sponsorship dollars to come in to where we can hire staff to adequately capture all of the content that is. So once we get that, um, you know, there's no really no limit to it. And then we've also broken ground. Um, well, I would say ground, I, I should say we were on the television. Um, you know, we started off, you know, we didn't have money to, to get on TV or, or we didn't have, that wasn't an opportunity at first. So, you know, we did YouTube like everyone else did. And now we've, uh, a couple of years ago, we got to the Amazon uh, Fire Stick uh, and Roku. Um, so you can actually see our content uh, on those channels. And starting this week, actually, starting on Saturday, September 7th uh, at 1.30, our uh, television show is going to premiere. It's called No Huddle. Um, and so it's going to be a look ahead to the, the day's football action. So really excited about that. But yeah, you know, it's just, um, there's a whole economy of people and who love that. And the thing about it is, um, you know, someone asked me last year, what's the, been the key to HBCU game day success? Um, I had to sit and think about it and it came to me one day. I was like, it's five C it's creating collaborative content that connects community. Um, so, you know, Damn, sorry, that was, hold on, that's, yeah. whoa, like one more time, you got to say that again, slow so people can write it down, because that's a bar, go good. Right, 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 creating collaborative content that connects community, so, you know, and what that is, is just, you know, from the beginning, when it was just me, in the first two years, it was just me, when it was just me, I wanted HBCU Game Day to be bigger than me, I wanted it to be something that, you know, could really also give folks a chance to showcase their talents as well. So, um, you know, after a couple of years, you know, I met up with uh, uh, some new partner, my part, my new partner. So that's uh, Tali Carr, you know, who, who's been with me since, uh, who's been at game day since 2014 and really, um, really his expertise um, with behind the camera and just has really taken everything to another level. And then my other partner, Wiley Pitt, 
um, who's just a great filmmaker and, and can do everything. Um, you know, we have, you know, been able to team together and work together. And, you know, there are a lot of outlets that are covering. There are there are a growing number of outlets that are attempting to cover HBCUs. But at the grassroots level, because there's so few dollars, it's hard to really get people to do it and do it together. So we've been able to collaborate. So we created, we've been able to collaborate on content. So creating collaborative content. And then it just connects community. Um, you know, uh, every school is its own community. Um, you know, every, every school is its own community and it's content that means something to people. Um, especially, especially if, you know, if you went to a certain school and you're not used to seeing your school represented, um, uh, you know, nationally, or you're not used to seeing it have its story told, there's so much pride in these schools, these institutions of higher learning that people, you know, connect to that. And so, our, we're not just making content to make content. We're not just saying, "Hey, here's you know some cute dogs." You know, it's content <laughs> that connects and it uh, and it and it empowers people. So, um, you know, just really proud of uh, of what we've been able to build and accomplish, and what we will uh, accomplish in the future. Um, despite a lot of obstacles, despite a lot of setbacks, um, you know, this has been uh, this has been something that's slow, slowly in motion. You know, just uh, I looked the other day, and it had been seven years since the first game that I went to uh, back in 2012 uh, when I was, uh, you know, trying to start off on this journey and I look at where we've come and I see the successes, I see the failures, you know, I felt the kick of, you know, um, felt the kick of, you know, thinking that, you know, we had a streaming uh, agreement with someone and then, you know, the big boys come in and basically say, you know, Hey, actually we've got exclusive rights and you can't do that two days before the season starts. You know, that's, so wait, you know, so the, so the, to be clear, you had a streaming deal on on the books or at least in place, and I'm guessing a larger organization who has a near monopoly on sports straight up was just like, nah, son. Like they just they boxed well, you yeah. up. Well, we had we had we had an agreement. Well, we had an agreement, uh, you know, with with some schools to stream their games that weren't going to be covered by uh that weren't set to be broadcast and um you know there were there were concerns about contractual obligations um and so yeah so a couple days before you know the plug was pulled on us on the stream but you know we uh it hurt it really hurt man it hurt but um but you know we we just persevered and we brought we started just said we said hey you know what this can either make us or break us so we started doing we already had had the idea out there so we started um you know working on a show um that you know the games happen on saturday the show would come out on monday so it would be a quick recap and, and a short look ahead to the next week um called the no huddle and we just put it on our youtube channel every week and we did it we committed to it uh you know wally and and tali um you know really crank work to crank it out i mean it's a lot covering four conference plus some other you know teams here and there uh, in the span of 48, in the span of less than 48 hours with, you know, such a small staff. But, you know, we were able to do that. And, uh, you know, now here we are a year later getting ready to kick off with Aspire, not only one show, but two shows. So, uh, you know, that's very exciting for us. And now it's, it's, it's on us to, to find some sponsors to really make this work. Um, you know, we, uh, we got to deal with this, we, we got the agreement with Aspire that they were going to allow us to produce this content for them but we didn't have a studio. Right. So 
we had to go to, and this is where that content that cre um, creating collaborative content that connects community. We went to the community that we built and we said, hey, you know, we have uh, got this show, um, but we need a TV set. Um, and so they were, and so we asked, you know, folks to, to donate in. And so, you know, $10 here, $20 there has added up to where now, um, you know, we've got a TV, we've got a, we've got a studio, um, you know, a small studio, and we just shot our pilot in it the other day. And I was just sitting there at, on the couch, man. I was like, this is amazing. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it says something, you know, when people, you know, when you have your vision, not only supported by, you know, when thousands of people support your vision and want to see it come to fruition and not only just to say, Hey, I support you, but actually put their dollars behind it and put their money behind it. So that's the thing that keeps us going and keeps us pushing when, you know, even when there are obstacles in our way, because we know that we're, there's a greater purpose for what we're doing. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, just trying to figure out how to continue to make it grow and work and also make it, uh, you know, something to where we can, you know, profit, you know, we just had, a young man, uh, Wilton Jackson, uh, who interned for us and did some great work for us. Um, and you know, won some NABJ awards, but you know, we didn't have the budget to pay him. We didn't have any money to pay him. Right. So he had to take, you know, he had to take a job with uh, a local newspaper. Right? right. So, you know, in that way, we've been able to increase that way. In other way, we've been able to increase the coverage and economy of HBCU sports. Um, but we would definitely love to continue to help it grow our brand as we continue to bring other faces on and, and give them their due. So, okay. So to this point, I want to ask a couple of just really specific questions because I know you got a lot going on over the next couple of days. Um, so just for the sake of understanding how this whole thing kind of works, are there any lessons that you think, you know, cause even, even the folks who listen to this, who are still in college, who are still going to be, you know, the, the broadcasters of tomorrow, what are what is a lesson you wish you knew five years ago that you, yeah? What is a lesson you have learned that you wish you knew five years ago? Uh, well, you know, uh, yeah, definitely five, but even more like seven or ten. Uh, just being able to uh to find people who aren't like you to work with and be able to work with, right? Because you know, uh, if you're going to if you're going, you know, partnership is definitely important. Um, and you don't want to partner with people who have the same vision as you. Uh, but it's great if you can partner with people who may not, who may not all have the same skills as you, right? So if you're the creative person, you need someone with, it'd be great to have someone with a business mind, uh, and has business training or marketing training that they can help you, you know, build your business as you continue to build your content. Um, you know, and just, um, you know, be, you know, you have to be consistent. And, and, and I knew that five years ago, but the level of consistency that you have to have, um, is, is, is just, it's just through the roof now. Um, but definitely just to be able to, to partner with people, you know what I mean? Just, just tap into all of your, your community and, um, and, and build a community that, you know, trust you as a source, trust you as a, um, you know, trust you as, as someone who, who knows what they're talking about. And, th and that's reliable. So, yeah, I definitely would just say, you know, just, you know, find people to partner with, collaborate with people, because it's, it's much easier when you work with other people, especially from the beginning. OK, so the next question is more just sports related. Who are the teams to watch this season in, in across the conferences? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, the MEAC, the last uh, two years, North Carolina A&T has won the uh, Celebration Bowl. Um, they've won the conference. They've only lost two games in those two years. So, 
Um, they've been on a great roll with Tariq Cohen getting drafted a couple years ago. Uh, so, um, yeah, definitely uh, North Carolina A&T and the MEAC. Um, you know, Florida A&M, you, uh, those guys kind of took it on the chin the other day uh, against UCF. But they got a little while to, to recover, so we'll see about them. But they, they can't win the MEAC because they're ineligible, which is another issue that happens is around that economy of sports, you know. Um, the, the, the money issue is definitely one, but, uh, over in the SWAC, there's, uh, Alcorn State, the defending champs, and there's Southern as well. And of course, Grambling to go along with them, Prairie View A&M, um, a really exciting team, uh, over in the SIC, Tuskegee, uh, is always a great team. Miles is a team that's, uh, from Alabama that's on the rise. And, uh, in the CIAA, Bowie State has been, Bowie State was a champ last year. Um, I think there's going to be some really good talent at, at Virginia Union University. And then, uh, you know, I, I'll say my alma mater, Winston-Salem State University, they've been down the last couple of years, but uh, historically they, they don't stay down too long. So, um, yeah, there's there's um, so many schools to watch. Also, uh, out of the conferences, you've got Hampton. I was able to see them the other day. They've got uh, Deion, they've got uh, DeAndre Francois, who uh, formerly played for Florida State. Yep, I know so, him. <laughs> yep, yeah, so – um, it's, uh, there's a lot of talent in HBCU sports, uh, overall, um, you know, bands, cheerleaders, everything is just, it's just, it's just amazing. I just love it. So awesome. And I just want to say thank you so much for your time here, because this is something that I am actively supporting something that I'm really trying to, to develop and get a larger network around, because I think that stuff like this not only is necessary, but your brand is something that should be looked at in the same level of, you know, sincerity and focus and respect as any of the other ones, because if not us, then who, right? If not us, then right. who? <laughs> so I appreciate your time, Steven. Tell the folks where they can find HBCU Game Day on the web and TV. Right. So uh, HBCUGameDay.com is the website. Make sure you check that out every day. We've got plenty of fresh content coming in um, on social media. We're HBCU Game Day as well on Twitter and Instagram. It's one word. Facebook is two. Uh, follow, make sure you uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel because some of the stuff that's going to be on the, some of the stuff that's going to get cut for TV will be on there. So you definitely want to check that out. And then uh, Saturdays at one thirty, we've got our show No Huddle. Uh, that is uh, our highlight preview show. And then on Sundays at twelve p.m., uh, we're going to have uh, HBCU One Hundred and One, which delves deeper, you know, deeper than just the X's and O's and and, and the cheerleading and all that. It, it goes to um, the stories of HBCU students, alumni, and supporters. So I'm really excited about those two shows, uh, working with Aspire this year and then hoping to continue to, uh, to roll things out and, and progress. All right, Stephen Gaither, HBCU Game Day, support, love, all things office hours, the intersection of culture and business. Thanks for your time, man. Appreciate you guys so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to Office Hours. Uh, if you liked what you heard today, and I hope you did, be sure to rate and review the show on your podcast platform of choice. We should be across all of them. You know, let us know if we're not. If you'd like to discuss this episode or you want more information on this episode, or you just want to suggest a future topic, email me at officehourswithernest at gmail.com. Again, that is officehourswithernest, E-R-N-E-S-T, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Be safe out there.
office hours with Ernest Wilkins was recorded live at Mass in the greatest city in the world, Chicago, USA.